0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Mallory. So tonight is my second-to-last Tuesday night episode. Next Tuesday night, we have a senior dance, Dance Through the Decades, uh, at 9 o'clock, I believe it is. So I probably will do my show next Tuesday night, but it won't be 7 to 8, probably will be 6 to 7. In the next week or two, though, I'd like to do more episodes that aren't just in the Tuesday 7 to 8 slot. I do have a lot of people I'd like to get on uh, before I do get out of here, which my last day of classes was a week ago from tonight, so I've been out of class now for, or f- I guess five days from tonight. It wasn't uh It was last Thursday, actually, my last day of class. But I had my two finals today. One final Friday. I've had a busy last few days. Had a paper due Monday. Had two exams today, nine o'clock or twelve o'clock. Uh, didn't get much sleep last night. We're battling. Obviously, the voice doesn't sound elite, but uh, we're gonna get through it though. We're gonna keep pushing. Obviously, that's the name of the game. Uh, just getting by. So. We'll get through it. I did have a, a labor economics exam at 9 a.m. today, uh, and then also a sports analytics exam at 12:30. So uh, I did have to get up early and study for both those. I was up late studying, and then woke up early, got around two or three hours of sleep. But name of the game, as I said, is pushing through and getting by. That's what the Clippers would do. So I'll have to do the same. When my back's against the wall, it's usually when I make uh, you know the best of things and make and make plays. So hopefully, I can follow uh, what the Clippers have been doing in the last few years and making something out of nothing. So. I didn't get to prepare as much as I typically do for an episode. Unfortunately, for tonight, as I said, busy last few days with exams. I do have one more exam on Friday, and then that'll be it for my college career. With, with which is crazy to say, four years did go by very fast. But I feel like when I look back at it, 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 look back at it, it was fast, but also slow at the same time. And obviously, the pandemic didn't help. That was obviously in the midst of you know my four years in college. It was you know part of all four years. So uh, that obviously wasn't the best. But at the end of the day, you've got to make things happen and you know do with what you can. So. The four years did go by quick, I'll probably do more of a, you know, a breakdown of my whole career here at some point, probably by, you know, my last episode or so, that'll probably be a longer episode where people come on and talk sports and also relive, you know, some memories that I've had at BC. But thank you guys for always listening every step of the way, it does mean a ton to me. Uh, Coming in here on every Tuesday night, 7 to 8 o'clock, truly is a pleasure and even though I did a lot to do, as I said, this week with the two exams and waking up and only had two hours of sleep, you know, last night and... You add in, you know, not really getting much, you know, many breaks during the day to eat and everything. I know I do have a, you know, a a duty to come here at 7 to 8, you know, that 7 8 window and talk sports since you guys do always listen in. It does mean a ton to me. So wherever you're listening in from, it's much appreciated always. Shout out to Tim Loftus. He's my biggest fan. and always listening right now, I'm sure. And then shout out to my Uncle Frankie. Uh, I was just texting him before this. So tonight to start off, I'm going to talk about the Celtics. That's going to be my probably main segment to start off. Talk about the Celtics and what happened in their Game 4 loss to the Philadelphia 76 Bad loss in overtime to the Celtics the other night. It was Sunday. I'm going to talk about who I think is to blame for that game. Whether it's Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Joe Missoula. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can go about it and who to blame. But I'll give you my thoughts on that. The Celtics do play Game 5 tonight in Boston, uh, which is a big one tonight for the Celtics. It's a 2-2 series. And credit to James Harden, what he's been doing for the Sixers. The Sixers would not be in this position if James Harden hasn't been doing what he's been doing. If James Harden decided to sit back and say, oh, Joel Embiid's out game one, and then game two he's not playing his best, and he decided to sit back and just relax and use the Joel Embiid's my excuse, the Sixers wouldn't be where they're at. I mean, James Harden has been ridiculous this series for the Sixers. 42 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists, a block, and 4 steals last game on Sunday. Shooting very efficiently from the floor as well. 16-23 from the floor, 6-9 of from three. Very efficient game for Harden overall. A beat is great too. 34 points, 13 rebounds, 4 assists, and a block. Uh, or a stale. Didn't have a block in that game, actually, which is surprising. As for the Celtics, look at their stat line. You look at it, right? 116 to 115. That was the final score. But you look at the Celtics box score, right? And you see 9 to 20 for Jason Tatum before. You see 10 to 16 to the 4 from Jalen Brown. So Jalen Brown had a pretty efficient game shooting wise. Tatum was 1 of 6 from 3. Obviously, he needs to be better than that. Tatum was great on the glass, 18 rebounds, 6 assists, 4 blocks, a steal, 24 points. Tatum had a pretty good game defensively and was great in the glass, I said. James Brown, 23 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists. You look at their stat lines, You know, it's a decent game. Good game for both of them. Obviously, they've had better games, both of them. They've both gone to 30 and 35 in the same night in the playoffs, a handful of times now over the last two seasons in the playoffs. But you look at the Celtics in the fourth quarter the other night, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were non-existent. Non-existent for the Celtics. And this is stemming from last year. In the NBA Finals, even in the Eastern Conference Finals last year versus the Heat, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are disappearing in the biggest moments. And rather than taking the big shots, if you're, the, if you're as good as everyone in Boston likes to, to talk about them you know, and what they are, if they're as good as what people say, being the best young dude in the NBA, why does Marcus Smart take all the big shots? And I know a lot of people come at Marcus Smart and say, why is he taking six shots in the fourth quarter the other night? He was 2 of 6 from the floor in the fourth quarter, 2 of 5 from 3, 4 of 4 from the free throw line, which is pretty good. Three assists and 10 points in the fourth quarter the other night. Pretty good fourth quarter for, for Marcus Smart. Obviously, 2 of 6 isn't great, but did a big end one in there, hit a big three, had 10 points in the fourth. That's pretty good. Tell me why, though, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, rather than taking the biggest shots... They would rather be passing the ball to Marcus Smart in the biggest moments. And this this isn't just a a Sunday thing. This was last year as well in the NBA Finals. When Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were non-existent with all their turnover woes in the NBA Finals last year, Marcus Smart was the one taking the big shots. And I I know people love coming at Marcus Smart on the radio and they say, why is Marcus Smart taking the biggest shots? Well, why is Jason Tatum driving and then kicking out to Marcus Smart with two seconds left in the shot clock when the ball's still in Tatum's hands, so by the time it gets to Marcus Smart, there's less than a second left. Of course, Marcus Smart's just gonna have to throw that shot up. I mean, there's no option. He's the only one on the team that has the guts to take the biggest shots. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, that is on them. And I'll talk about Joe Mazzula in a second. He is definitely to blame. But Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown cannot get away with letting Marcus Smart take all the biggest shots, all the big shots. They cannot, let, they cannot get away with that. As the superstar of the team, Jason Tatum, and then Jalen Brown's a very good sidekick. I would rather build around Jalen Brown. I think Jalen Brown's a better player. I think he's more of a team player, but I know most Boston fans are going to go the other way and say Jason Tatum's better, which we'll have our opinion on him. I'm not the biggest Jason Tatum fan, which I'm sure as you guys know. But you look at that fourth quarter. Tatum did have six rebounds, two assists, and two blocks. Pretty good defensively, as I said, and good in the glass. Just four points, though. O of 1 from 3, 1 of 3 from the floor. Jalen Brown, 1 of 3 from 3, 1 of 3 from the floor and just three points in the fourth quarter. That's crunch time. That's when you need the Celtics to be picked up by Jalen Brown and Jason Taylor. The Celtics did have a really good fourth quarter. Don't get me wrong. The Elks to Philly 24-15, and we're down heading into the fourth quarter, and it did tie the game. So I'm not saying everything was wrong in the fourth quarter with Jason Taylor and Jalen Brown. What I'm saying is in the big moments, three, three to four minutes to go, for some reason, Marcus Smart is always the one taking the big shots. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I know they're not going to be listening to this, but I know there are a lot of fans out there that are listening. That Celtics fans right now. I mean, these guys are definitely to blame, though. Definitely to blame. And Marcus Smart was great, as like I said, hit some big shots, hit a big three, drew a big foul, hit a big couple free throws, hit another three-pointer. About two minutes to go, the Celtics were down by four. Put them. Uh, well, the Celtics were down by or up by one. His three puts the Celtics up by four with two minutes and 52 seconds to go. Then he hits another two big free throws, put the Celtics up by two with 50, 51 seconds to go. But the Celtics down by two, or tie game, excuse me, tie game. It's 107-105 Celtics. Then James Harden hits a big two-point jump shot, 16 seconds to go. As James harden has been doing now this series a ton, hit a big shot early in the series in game one, hit a big step-back three. And then same thing in game four, hit a big shot here to give the the Sixers a chance to send this game to overtime. And obviously it works out for Philly at the end of the day. But hits a big shot 16 seconds ago. The Celtics, rather than Joe Missoula calling timeout, says, we're going to let the Celtics run it. Don't call a timeout like most coaches would in the NBA, and let's just run it. And at the end of the day, I think if you look at it, Joe Missoula should know better. By all the woes the Celtics have had late in games, the entire season, in the last few minutes when he hasn't called timeouts, he should he should learn, okay, the Celtics have worked better in certain situations not calling timeout, but in this one, let's call a timeout. He hasn't done that. He hasn't made any adjustments. Just lets them play. And that's why you see Jason Tatum bring the ball up, 16 seconds to go, tie game, and you see him dribble out the entire shot clock till there's four seconds left. He drives, gets under the basket rather than going up, Kicks it out to Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart does hit the three-pointer, but the ball was still in his hands as time expired. And that's the problem. That's the problem right there. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown cannot let that happen. And Tatum has to be smarter. He has to say, okay, it's a tie game right now. 16 seconds to go. Let's get a good shot off. I know people love playing the I want the last shot, which I get that too. I get that let's play the last shot. But at the end of the day, you can't be looking at it as, uh, oh, let's just waste the entire time. And just if we get a good shot off, we get a good shot off. Which I apologize here, I was wrong. Marcus Mott hit the three-pointer in overtime to that would have won the game. He missed the three-pointer at the end of regulation when it was 107-107. Once again, Tatum and Jalen Brown giving Marcus Mott the ball and letting him take the biggest shot. Misses it, tie game 107-107. I'm sorry there. I apologize for messing that up. But in the fourth quarter, as I said, tie game, Smart misses the three at the end of regulation. Celtics down by one after James Hodden hits a big three-pointer uh, with uh, 19 seconds to go. The Celtics were up with 38 seconds to go. Jason Tatum hit a big three, which, as I said, not everything was bad in this game from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But I think in crunch time moments, these two guys need to step up. And they need to play better basketball. There's no excuses. If you're top 10 to top 12 player at the NBA like most people see Jason Tatum and a top 15 to top 18 player like a lot of people see Jalen Brown, they have to be better in big moments. They have to be better in big moments. Yes, they did get to the NBA Finals last year. I'm not saying everything's bad. But at the end of the day, they need to step up in big moments. And if you look at it, the Celtics up to 38 seconds to go. As I said, Tatum at that big three. And what does Doc Rivers do? Calls a timeout with 26 seconds to go, draws up a play, and what happens? With the 76 is down by two. James Harden hits a huge three with Jalen Brown in his face. Jaylen Brown should have been playing, should have been playing, should have been, play, been, play, been play, uh, playing better defense, which he admitted after the game wasn't as good defense he should have been playing. But the Celtics get another chance, down by one, 19 seconds to go, and what does Joe Missoula do yet again? Doesn't call timeout and lets the Celtics play. And what happens? The Celtics dribble out the entire shot clock, as they always do. Jason Tatum kicks it out from the corner, drives, probably could have went up. Rather, kicks it out to Marcus Smart on the wing. Marcus Smart takes a good three-pointer, but the ball's still in his hands as time expired. Smart hits it, but since it's still in his hands as time expired, game over, Celtics lose by one. So at the end of regulation, the Celtics had a chance of winning. What does Jason Tatum do? Dribbles out the entire shot clock and lets Marcus Smart take the biggest shot. And Marcus Smart misses, misses as the time expires. Then, at the end of overtime, the Celtics down by one. What does Joe Missoula do? Well, yet again, does not call timeout like he did in regulation. Jason Tatum dribbles out the entire shot clock. When you're down by one with 19 seconds to go, to go I understand the we want to take a little bit of time off the clock. Maybe take a shot around 10 to 12 seconds. But you don't want to waste the entire shot clock. Jason Tatum was standing at the top of the key for 15 seconds. and Or it might have been at the wing, if I remember right. Regardless, dribbled out the shot clock. I'm trying to remember whether it was at the end of regulation or when he was driving from the corner and then kicked it out to Tatum. But regardless, both both situations, he dribbled out the entire, entire game clock and then kicked it out to Marcus as time expired. And at the end of the day, it's on Missoula as well. You have to call a timeout. I agree with Tim Loftus. No excuses for not setting up the shot. I agree with you. How does Joe Missoula not call timeout? I agree with you there. And my mom said as well, they're getting paid millions of dollars, Tatum and Brown, they professionals, and Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum aren't stepping up in those big moments, which she only pointed out Jalen Brown, but I'll point out Jason Tatum as well. And to hit the big three. She's right. Hodden hit the biggest shot of the game. And credit to James Harden. A lot of people talked about his game one performance, said he wouldn't be able to do it again. And what did he do this last game? Game one, he had 45 points, 17 to 30, shooting from the floor, 7 to 14 from three. Games two and three, struggled 12 points and 16 points with a combined 5 of 28 shooting from the floor and 2 of 13 shooting from three. But what does he do in game four? His back's against the wall and it's 42 points, 16 and 23 shooting from the floor, 6 of 9 from three, 8 rebounds, 9 assists, and then added in four steals in a block. So... He stepped up in the biggest moments. And that's a player that nobody really has the highest ex- expectations for. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, there's higher expectations around those two. And I'm not coming at James Harden. I think James is a very good player. I'm a fan of him. But considering what Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are in their careers, they should be the ones putting up that stat line in a big game like that. And this was a very winnable game for the Celtics. Two chances at the end of regulation and at the end of overtime. And Missoula doesn't call timeout, which he's been doing all season, has not been calling timeout. It's been a constant he doesn't know what to do in the late-game scenarios. And that's what you have to do. You have to be better at. To be a good head coach in the NBA, you have to draw up a play and say, okay, this is going to work. Look at Steve Kerr. He's great at drawing up plays to the Warriors, and it seems to always work. Even if they lose the game, I mean, there's always a shot that they get off. They always play smart in late-game scenarios. I mean, it'll happen here and there. They had a turnover last night late in the game with, you know, under, under five seconds to go. I believe it was Steph Curry had a turnover. But most of the time, they're pretty polished late in games. Missoula has to do better, though. He has to do better. And there's no excuses there. The Celtics need to win tonight. If it's 3-2 heading back to Philly, they're in trouble. The Celtics need to win tonight. I think the Celtics will still win tonight. I still think they probably win in six or seven games. Uh, you know, Obviously, now it would be at least six games. I think they probably win in seven games. I think Philly will win in Philly in game six, and then Boston will win in game seven in Boston. But this is two straight series where the Celtics should have been winning games earlier and putting the series away quicker. If Joel Embiid misses game one and doesn't play great in game two, the Celtics should have put the the, the sixes away by now in five games probably. But they didn't. They didn't. The reality situation is it's two two after four games going into game five. It's basically a do or die scenario for the Celtics. If they're down 3-2 going into Philly, that's trouble. And I'm not saying it's impossible for them to win in Philly down 3-2. But the reality is you don't want to be like the Bruins where you look at it and say, oh, at least we have a chance... You know, even if we do do lose a game, let's say, five, and it's 3-2. At least we go, you know, we play in Philly. If we win in Philly, we'll win game seven in Boston. You can have a bank on that. In the playoffs, you can have a bank on, oh, we'll just win the next game. You need a win right now. There's no waiting for tomorrow in the playoffs. You never know what's going to happen possession by possession, second by second in an NBA game, especially in the playoffs. So the reality is the Celtics need to be better in late-game scenarios And Jason Tatum and Jayla Brown have to be held accountable. They have to be. Everybody looks at Jason Tatum and and Jalen Brown like they're the next LeBron James. Like they're the next Kobe Bryant. But the reality is, Kobe Bryant and, and, and LeBron James are taking all those big shots, even when they were young. They need to step up at big moments. Marcus Smart should not be the one taking the big shots. He's the only one with the guts to take the big shots at big moments. And that's the problem. That's the problem. So, Missoula, Tatum, Brown, they're all held accountable. Mostly Tatum. And Missoula and eyes, Because Tatum had the ball in both situations late in that shot clock. And the game clock and the end of regulation in overtime. And obviously the Celtics' Taylor short. Tonight's game five. Big game for the Celts in Philadelphia. I think the Celts probably – or it's in Boston, excuse me. I think the Celts probably win this game. I think it's going to be a close one. But I think game six, Philly wins. I think this goes seven games. And my mom said, maybe Tatum would have been fouled if he put it up. You're right. I mean, that's at the end of the day, yes. He probably could have. Been. Tatum did get away, though, late in that game. When he hit that big three-pointer with, I think it was, let me see here, 38 seconds left in, the shot, uh, 38 seconds left in overtime. Jason Tatum had a big three-pointer with Tyrese Maxey in his face. The Celtics were down by one. Tatum had the big three with 38 seconds to go. Of a step back, did push off of Tyrese Maxey. Probably should have been offensive foul. They don't call it. Celtics are up by two. James Harden, after the sixes call timeout. Doc Rivers wants to go over things. Harden hits a big three with Jalen Brown in his face. Then the Celtics dribble, up the shot clock. Give it to give it to Marcus Smart with a pass from Jay, uh, Jason Tatum, and Celtics come up short. Even though that was a great shot from Smart, regardless, they have to be better. But you're right, my mom's right. Tatum could have been fouled, and the momentum does favor the Sixers right now. The Celtics are, in, are obviously have all the pressure on them right now. It's two two. Joel Embiid missed game one, didn't play great in game two. And It's a two to two series. But it's not credit to Joel Embiid here. Without James Harden, it's a three to one series. Maybe in a 4 row series. If James Hyde doesn't step up in Game 1 and Game 4 like he did. And my grandfather always used to say, as my mom pointed out, that it always goes seven games or always at least go goes six games because it's a business and the NBA wants money. And that's the truth. That's the truth. So we'll see what happens tonight for the Celts. Big Game 5 in Boston starting in just about 10 minutes. I will end this episode around 8 o'clock just because I know people want to watch. So I'll end this episode after an hour. Won't keep you guys on too long. So hopefully... The Celtics find a way to win tonight's game. Even if they were not to, I mean, it's not the end of the world. But I think you do want to win this game. Obviously, I mean, you want to win every playoff game. I mean, that's just a given. But you don't want to lose this game, especially considering the Sixers have all the momentum right now. All the momentum right now. And I apologize if you haven't taken a quick break. Just one second, I'll get some water. But thank you, have it. That's my thoughts on the Celts, Joe Missoula, and Jason Tatum. Last night was a big Heat win for Miami. The Miami Heat, they look great. They're up three 3-1 right now on the New York Knicks. Winning that uh, game four by eight points. And it was a huge game from Jimmy Butler. Jimmy, I mean, didn't even have the best game he's had in the Heat uniform. I mean, he only had 27 points. But did add in 10 assists, 2 blocks, 2 steals, 6 rebounds, and 42 minutes of action. 9-17 shooting from the floor. Bam Adebayo, who I thought would be a big problem for the Knicks in the series. He had his best game in the series. 23 points, 10-17 shooting from the floor. 13 rebounds, two assists, and a steal. He had a huge game. And if you look at what the Knicks had, in the fourth quarter, the Knicks were heading into that game. Heading into the fourth quarter. It was a close game. The Knicks, I believe, were up by seven heading into the fourth quarter. Which let me get the math right here. Uh one second. But regardless, the heat. Found a way to win that game. Credit to them. They always do find ways to win. They just they're just a scrappy team. But heading into the fourth quarter, the Heat were up by nine points. Okay, that's what it is. Heat were up by nine points heading to the fourth quarter. At halftime, though, the Heat were up by eight. So it was pretty much an eight point gap just with the whole game, except there was it was a one point game after the end of the first. But regardless, fourth quarter for the Heat. And, and what does Jimmy Butler do? Makes big plays in big moments as he has consistently done over his career in the playoffs. Seven points, three of six shooting from the floor in the fourth quarter, two rebounds, and a steal, and an assist, and a block. No steal, I apologize. And you look at the other way Julius Randle in the fourth quarter, zero points. That's what the Knicks need to step up. You're down eight heading into the fourth quarter. You need, or nine was it? You need. Julius, you're going to step up. You need him to step up in that, in that moment and make a big play. What does he do in the fourth quarter? Nine minutes of action, 0 of 1 from the floor, two rebounds. That's it. And two, and two turnovers. What does Jalen Brunson do in the fourth quarter? Pretty good scoring. 13 points off, 3 of 7 shooting on the floor, o of 2 from 3, 7 of 7 shooting from the free throw line, and two assists. But it wasn't enough. And you look at what they shot from 3 in the fourth quarter. The Knicks, 1 of 8. The Heat, 0 of 9. The Heat were 0-9 from three in the fourth quarter. And the Knicks could not take advantage of it. They could not take advantage of it. So the Knicks are in trouble. They are in trouble. I know they beat the Cavs, which I was shocked by that series. I did not think they were going to do that. I had the Cavs winning that series in five, I believe it was in six games. I was shocked they beat the Cavs. But the Knicks do have a lot of weaknesses. They have a ton of weaknesses. Jalen Brunson, 10-21 from the floor in the game, 2-7 from three. 32 points, 11 assists, 4 rebounds in the game. 5 fouls and a turnover. I like Brunson. I think he's a good player. He was obviously worth more than what that contract uh, was given to him from the Knicks. But I think he relies too much on driving the paint. He doesn't really use his shot enough. And even when he does use his shot, he's 2-7 from 3. 28% from 3-point land yesterday. Needs to be better. Julius Randle in the game overall, 20 points, 8-13 shooting from the floor. Pretty efficient, but was 1-4 from 3. The Knicks overall with 32% from three. And then if you look at it, the uh, Heat weren't much better, 33%. So neither team shot great. And that's when the Knicks have to take advantage of it. They have to see a Heat team that doesn't have Tyler Harrow healthy. They don't really have that many great shooters. Besides Max Struess was 4-10 from three. Nobody had more than two threes on that team yesterday for the Heat. So at the end of the day, the Knicks are in trouble. I mean, they're going to notice... Okay, they don't have Tyler Hero. Jimmy Butler's obviously going to be a problem. Let's just try to contain Jimmy Butler to the best of our ability and try to see what happens. Don't let Jimmy Butler beat us. Let's see if Struce can beat us. Which Struce had a good game yesterday 16 points, 410 from three. But the Knicks are in trouble. They're in trouble. And I think they relied too much on the Julius Randle when he gets back, he's going to hit the big threes. Well, Julius Randle hasn't been shooting great, he hasn't had a great playoff series at all. And for that matter, he hasn't really had a great playoff run in in the last few years. His career in the playoffs, 16.7 points per game off 34% shooting from the floor, 27% shooting from three with eight rebounds, or or 10 rebounds and four assists. What has he done this year in the playoffs between the Cavs and the Heat series? 15.9 points per game, 23% shooting from three and 37.5% shooting from the floor. Averaging eight rebounds and four assists. So Julius Randle has to be better. He has to be better. He's got to be held accountable there. Tarma Tatum and Brown and the Celtics. Julius Randle has to be held accountable. But with that being said, credit to to Jimmy Butler what he's been doing for the Heat. Jimmy Butler's been putting on a show. Credit to Jimmy Butler what he's been able to do. There's not many players in the NBA that could step up in big moments like, like, like Jimmy Butler has. And as I said, Jimmy Butler... I talked about it before the playoffs started, which Timmy Loves pointed out. He doesn't like the Heat, which I know a lot of Celtics fans don't. I think the Heat are going to give the Celtics trouble next round. If that's what the matchup is looking like, it's going to be. Celts obviously got to, get, got to get through the Sixers first. and The Heat still got to win another game. But if that's a matchup, it's trouble for the Celtics. And I know a lot of people saw that play-in tournament and said, Great, the Hawks beat the Heat. Now we don't have to worry about the Heat because the Heat are going to play the, the Bucks." Well, what happened? Giannis goes down, has a tough injury, misses a couple games. He take advantage of it, even with Tyler Hero out. They win that series. What happens in this series? Julius Reno misses a couple games, still without Tyler Hero, and Jimmy Butler steps up makes big moments. I think the Heat are going to give the Celtics trouble. The Celtics have, have avoided them to the best of their ability, and they want to play them until the Eastern Conference Finals, which is a win for the Celtics, because the Celtics could have played them out of the gate and played them in the first round. But with the way the cards fell, the Celtics didn't have to. So things worked out for the Celtics there. I think the Heat will give them a series, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Obviously, the Celtics are still going to win another game, another two games, and same with the Heat. The Heat still have to win uh, another game as well against the Knicks. And as I always say, anything can happen in the playoffs. But with that being said, what Jimmy Butler did against the Celtics last year was ridiculous in the playoffs. In that East Conference Finals, we went seven games, which the Heat have now played the Celtics. In the East Coast Finals, two of the last three playoffs in 2020 and in 2022. The Celtics played the Heat in the East Conference Finals. The Heat got the better of the Celtics in 2020, winning that series in six games. And then the Celtics got the better of the Heat in 2022, winning that series in seven games. But what Jimmy Butler did last year in the seven-game series, averaged 26 points per game, 89% shooting from the free throw line. shooting from three, wasn't really that great shooting from the three, but 47% shooting from the floor, two steals, .7 blocks per game, seven rebounds, 3.4 assists, and 36.4 minutes of action, including two games over 40 points, including a do-or-die game six at Boston where he played 46 minutes and had 47 points, nine rebounds, eight assists, four steals, a block, only one turnover, 11-11 shooting from the free throw line, four of eight shooting from three, and 16-29 of shooting from the floor. He had a very impressive game. And we know what Jimmy Bell capable of. He had a 56 point game in game four against the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. 56 point game of 19, to 20, 19 to 28 shooting from the floor with nine rebounds, two assists, and a block. 56 points. In the playoffs, eight games this year 33.5 points per game, 5.1 assists, 1.6 steals, 0.8 blocks, 6.4 rebounds. 77% shooting from the free throw line. 39.4% shooting from 3s with been great shooting from three. And 56% shooting from four, which is elite. So the Celtics don't want to play the Heat. But point being, what I'm saying, the Celtics still have to get there. Nothing's guaranteed. The Celtics still have to win another game. Another two games, that is. I mean, they got to win tonight. you got to win one game at a time. Really, just a one-game-at-a-time mentality. But we'll see what happens in the Celtics tonight. 7.30 is that game. As the other series... The Lakers went up 3-1 to one last night. Huge fourth quarter from Lonnie Walker at the quarter of his life last night for the Lakers off the bench. 6-9 shooting from the floor, 1-3 three from three, adding in two rebounds, one steal, and 15 points in the fourth quarter. The Warriors only had 17 points in the fourth quarter. Lonnie Walker had 15 on his own in the fourth quarter. 6-9 and shooting on the floor from Lonnie Walker in the fourth quarter. The Warriors were 6-17 shooting from the floor in the fourth quarter. With Steph Curry having... A decent fourth quarter, 4 of 11 shooting from from the floor, 1 of 4 from 3 though, 10 points, 1 rebound, 1 assist, and 1 turnover. Klay Thompson, not a great fourth quarter, just 1 of 3 from 3 and 3 points. Andrew Wiggins, 0 of 2 from the floor in the fourth quarter with just 2 points, both of those coming at the free throw line. And you look at what LeBron James did in the fourth quarter, 4 of 4 from the free throw line, 1 of 3 from the floor, 6 points. Davis, only two points. Andy Davis, only two points in the fourth quarter with four rebounds, one or two shooting from uh, the floor. But the story of that game was Lonnie Walker in the fourth quarter. He gave the Lakers a 3-1 to lead. So we'll see what happens. Game five will be, I believe, tomorrow night. And that game will be in Golden State. Golden State's been better at home anyways, but that's tough. That's tough. They got punched in the face. Now they got to wake up. Tomorrow night at 10 o'clock at Golden State. And then the other game is the Miami Heat versus the New York Knicks tomorrow at 7:30. The Heat looking to put away the Knicks, and then the Lakers are looking to put away the Warriors. So we'll see what happens in both those series. And the last series, Game Five of the Denver Nuggets and Phoenix Suns series, will be tonight. Denver is home. Denver losing each of the last two games. Uh, it's been tough for them, losing 129 to 124 at Phoenix in Game Four, and then 121 to 114 in Game Three at Phoenix. Uh, game 4 it was just a tough outing for the the Nuggets overall defensively, giving up 129 points. Couldn't really stop Kevin Durant, 36 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists, adding in a block and 2 steals, 11-19 shooting from the floor. Devin Booker was on one, 36 points, 12 assists, and 6 rebounds, adding in 14-18 of shooting from the floor and 3-4 shooting from 3. Nicole Jokic had one of the best player performances over the last few years, 53 points. Off 20 20 of 30 shooting from the floor, adding in 11 assists and 4 rebounds and a block. But that wasn't enough. Jamal Murray even had a good game. 28 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists, 13 of 25 shooting from the floor, and 1 of 3 from 3. But the reality is Devin Booker. Devin Booker was just on one last night. Or this is two nights ago now. I apologize. Devin Booker was unstoppable. And I was wrong about Devin Booker. I mean, I was saying that I wasn't too worried about him. When the, the Clippers are playing him, I thought Devin Booker wasn't really having that great of a shooting. He didn't really have that great of a regular season, especially at the end. But he's been putting up heavy numbers. Over this playoff run, he's averaging 36.8 points per game, 7.4 assists per game, 5.1 rebounds, 61% shooting from the floor, and 51% shooting from three. 62% shooting from the floor and 37 points per game. The efficiency is unreal. 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 And you look at what he's doing it with. Obviously, he has Kevin Durant around him, but DeAndre Aiton hasn't really been helping much offensively. And Chris Paul's hurt. A lot of it's been on Booker. If it's not Durant, it's on Booker. And Booker's been showing up and putting up big numbers. So credit to Booker. I was wrong about him. I was wrong about him, and, and I counted him out. When the Clippers are playing him, I wasn't as worried about him. He had some big, big games against the Clippers. Had some big, big games against the Clippers. And I know the question with James Harden when he had the big game won was could he do it again? And he didn't do it in games 2 and 3. Devin Booker's been putting up big numbers each of the last four or five games for the for the Denver uh for the Phoenix Suns. He's been stepping up in big big moments. So, that's always a question, can he do it again? And he's been on a run probably the hardest he's been in his whole entire career has been the last four games. Honestly, the whole playoffs, you know, run in general, but the last four games, the well, last I mean, honestly, the whole playoff run. I don't look at his stats. I mean it's honestly the whole entire playoffs. So the lowest he scored in the game was 27 points. Shooting 37 or averaging 37 points per game. 51% shooting from three. 5.1 rebounds, 7.4 assists, 2 steals, 8.9 blocks, and 42.5 minutes of action. And he yeah. has to do it, considering the the Nuggets don't really uh the Suns don't really don't really have the depth. And a Kogi and uh, Tory Craig haven't been putting up the numbers that they were putting up against the uh, LA Clippers. A lot of it's on Kevin Durant and and a lot of it is on Devin Booker to step up. And what did Kogi do against the Clippers in that Clippers series? Had a couple big games shooting. It was 4-7 shooting the floor in Game 5. Overall on that series averaged 6 points per game. Doesn't sound like a lot, but he had some big daggers in those 6 points per game. Was 91% shooting the free throw line. 43% shooting from the field. But what has he done in this series? Total in this series, he only has 10 points. He only has 10 points in this whole series. He had 11 points in Game 5 for his eclipse. He only has 10 points in this whole series. He's only averaged 2.5 points per game in this series in 17 minutes of action. and shoot 38.5% from the floor, and he's 0 of 5 from 3 in the series. 0 of 4 from 3, I apologize. And then you look at Torrey Craig. Another guy that... Only averaged 7.4 points per game in the regular season of 39.5% shooting from three. But against the Clippers, came up big in some big moments. Against the Clippers, games 1, 2, and 3 averaged, uh, I think it was 19 points per game, 18 points per game in those three games, between 1 and 3, 22 points, 17 points, and 15 points in the first three games. In those three games... 69.2% shooting from the four, 62.5% shooting from three, averaging 3.3 uh, three point field goals made per game of 5.5 uh, attempts. 63% shooting from the three point line, which is ridiculous. Point, uh, 88.9% shooting from the free throw line, also adding in four, assists, or four rebounds and two assists. What has he been doing in this series against the Denver Nuggets? Just three points in the entire series. Three points in the entire series. Against the Clippers, only game five did he not score any no points. But in games one through four, 22 points, 17 points, 15 points, and eight points. In all of those games, very efficient shooting. In those four games against the Clippers, between games one and four, 56% shooting from the three-point line. Averaging 2.5 three-point field goals made per game in 5.5, uh, or 4.5 attempts. Averaging 5.5 Field, goal made per, field goals made per game of 66.7% shooting from the floor and 15.5 points per game. And what has he done in this series in four games? 0.8 points per game of 16.7% shooting from the floor. And he has a combined one for five from three. And he was five to eight from three and three or four from three against the Clippers in games two and three. So a lot of it's on Devin Booker and Kevin Durant to step up. And they've been doing that. They've been doing that stepping up in big, big moments. So credit to those two. I'm rooting, though, obviously for the Denver Nuggets. I, I can't root for the, for the Phoenix Suns. I'm not a big Phoenix Suns fan. Obviously, they gave the Clippers trouble, and it's not about the Clippers losing to them, but I don't know. I just didn't like the vibe they gave. They would have been a smug vibe to them. I don't know what it was, but wasn't a big fan of them. But credit to them, they're playing good basketball right now. It's 2-2. I thought Denver was going run to run away with it when, when Chris Paul went down, but that wasn't the case. So... There's my NBA breakdown. I'm gonna paul from Southie come on in just one second. Gonna coordinate with him and then be back on here in just one second. So I'll be back with you guys in just one minute. Gonna have him on for the last 20 minutes, and then I'll let you guys go at 8 o'clock because I know the Celtics are starting up, which let me see if that game started. I'll give you the breakdown of how that game's been going. If it did, 10 10 so far in the first five minutes of the game, the Celtics uh are leading or were leading at one point. Let me see. We're leading at 1.10 to 8. Now it is 10 to 10-10. Uh, and so far in the first five minutes, which now is 13-10 uh, with the 76s leading. Uh, it is 13-10. And the Celtics are led by Marcus Amato, six points, two to two shooting from the three-point line. Jason Tatum, he has no points, 0-2 oh, shooting from the floor. Jam Brown, one of one from the floor, two points. 13-10-6s in the first five minutes of the game. As the Red Sox, they are playing a big series tonight against the Atlanta Braves. The Braves. Pitching uh, for the Red Sox is Nick Pavetta. He's already in a jam. It's 3-0 Atlanta in the bottom of the first inning. Atlanta's a good baseball team. They're 7-3 in the last 10 games, 24-11 overall on the year. They're one of the best teams in baseball, probably the first and second best team in the game. Besides the Rays, I think the Braves are probably the second best team in baseball. The Red Sox are going to have a handful. they could just split this two-game series, that's a win. If they were to win this two-game series, that'd be unreal. But obviously that's wishful thinking now with the game being 3-0 in the bottom of the first. But if we split this series, I'd be impressed. Even if we don't, the Red Sox being 21-15 and winning eight games in a row at one point, that was very impressive. Sweeping Toronto, four games, taking two or three against Philly, taking two or three against Cleveland, all those series were impressive. And credit to Jaron Duran and Connor Wong. They came up big. Masataki Yoshida has been one of the best hitters in baseball. Credit to those guys for coming up big in big moments. And even if the Red Sox were to lose these two games, I lose confidence in them, as I said you know, last week, I think it was, or maybe in an episode I recorded on my podcast over the last week. I mentioned I went out to dinner to the, the Stockyard Restaurant in Brighton with Tim Loftus, his wife, my mom, my dad, my sister Miros, my brother Paul. And heading into that dinner, the Celtics, uh, Celtics excuse me, the Red Sox, lost four straight games to Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay. And they're facing the LA Angels in a series opener on that Friday night. And I said to them, I said, I don't know what it is. I've lost confidence in the Sox. I don't know what it is. I still have some confidence. Maybe it's because it's a long season. Maybe it's because I think they're going to play better baseball. Maybe it's just because I'm a fan of them and I want them to do well and I'm just getting a little bit of a biased opinion, which I try not to do. try not to give a biased opinion. I try to give you my honest opinion. But I said there's something about the Sox team. I think they're going to still play good baseball. I think they're going to be either a game in the playoffs or a game out of the playoffs. And right now, they're 21-15 in the best division of baseball. So credit to them. Anyways, I will get Paul from Southie on in just one minute here. I'll coordinate with him and be back with you guys in just about 45 seconds. Give me a second here. And here we are, back with Paul, the sports encyclopedia, the sports wizard. How are we doing, Paul? Thank you for coming back on. Doing well tonight, Joe.
1: Good show so far.
0: Much appreciated. Thank you. I didn't know if it was going to be one of my better ones, considering had a rough last day or so, you know, with work and everything, having a paper due yesterday, and then also adding in two exams today at 9 and 12 back-to-back. So it was tough. To really get the hang of things, but as I always say, you got to be like the Clippers, and when your back's against the wall, you got to make something happen. So uh, I get that from you, I think. Got to be a dog. Got to be a dog like the clip. So we'll start out, maybe we'll start out with, with the Kentucky Derby. Obviously, I had you on over the weekend, right before the Kentucky Derby, and one of their horses you liked, Mage, because I think you liked the jockey, did come out as the winner, winning the K- Kentucky Derby with 15-1 to 1 odds, and came out the winner. What did you see in Mage? I think it was the jockey, correct?
1: you got to give, yeah, Javier Castellano, I believe he's won more races than any jockey in history. Um, so experience was definitely on his side. And such a, you know, this race more than any other because um, they don't have anything to compare it to because horses at this age of three, they've never run a mile and a quarter. Yeah. So you, you don't want to have them burn out too early and then have no kick in the stretch. So you saw what Mage did in the stretch, he... He battled for mid pack and he and he cruised to victory.
0: Yeah, he did. I mean, I was honestly shocked. I didn't really. I don't think I had any of my predictions. Uh, I liked Hit show to, to show up. He came in fifth, was in it for a little bit, um, and then also I know Tapper Trice. You're a big fan of, and I, I even liked Tapper Trice as well. And just didn't pan out. It wasn't his race.
1: No, I don't know what happened to him. I have to see a replay of the race and see if he. Uh, sometimes you get strung out. You know, you get forced wide um, and if you get too crowded. Sometimes the horse falls back too far, and in a race like this, you can fall many lengths behind. So uh, I don't know exactly what his problem was, but he certainly had the lines, that I thought he was going to, you know, make the ticket.
0: Definitely. Well, you were right about Major Joe. Cassiano, the, the, the jockey, second most uh, career earnings, second highest career earnings ever for a North American jockey, which is very impressive.
1: Very successful, yeah. He, he's a standout. You have to you have to consider his entries anytime he's on a horse in the irons as they say when he's in the irons you you got to give his horse a good look definitely
0: so the order of finish went mage two fills i know you like two fills i liked angel of empire as well you like two fills to place in the, and he did place obviously i was obviously big and i think you know mom as well had had two fills in there but two fills did well and then hit show came in fifth i thought hit show was going to be in the top 3 but i'll, I'll still take you know a fifth place there he did at least show a good run Uh, Tim Loftus did point out Paul knows his horses, so he gives a little credit there.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Tim. And, um, we should also mention Angel of Empire had a real good race to come in third to show. And I believe I said on your show last time, last week, was two fills had, I think, the highest rating in, like, the, the, you know, the previous past performances. He had 107, which is even more than Forte would have had if he wasn't scratched, so, um, you had to give him a good look, too, and I think his jockey was one that ran the, I mean, that won this race before, like Pratt or Giroux. So, two fills was, you know, you had to consider him in your ticket.
0: Definitely. Uh, it was Jareth Loveberry was the.
1: Uh, I got the wrong horse. But you know
0: Loveberry, that, though, right? He's up and coming. Yeah, you know you know your jockeys well. Uh, but it was it was surprising. Obviously, Forte being down, that was obviously tough. He had a footproof, so he did not race. So, Tabatrice is supposed to be the guy and came in seventh. But like you said, Angel of Empire finished strong. Two fills in a good race, and credit to Mage. So you know your horses though better than anyone I know.
1: Well, we got to get ready for the Preakness a week from Saturday, and I heard today that Forte will be out of that race as well with the injury, and they're going to point to the Belmont, which would be like I think the first Saturday in June. Yep. On there, so he really needs the rest because he's still a super horse, and I believe um, Mage's uh, ownership said that he was going to run the Preakness. So. A lot of times, if we look forward to the Preakness, um, the second jewel of the crown, you got to consider horses that have, didn't run the Kentucky Derby because this is a two-week turnaround we're talking from Kentucky to Maryland in the Preakness. So that sometimes that's not a lot of time off for every horse.
0: 100%. I agree So It's June 10th is the uh, Belmont Stakes. So, yeah, they get an extra week. But still, it, it is as you said, might not be enough time even then. Uh, right. But you know, you know your horses, though, so... It's a good thing to have you on. I appreciate you talking that. Uh, so, what would you rather move on to, or would you rather? Do you have anything else to add on about the horses?
1: Nope, just looking forward to the pre.
0: There you go. Yeah. Okay, I got you. I was gonna say, if you want to make any predictions, but they i mean—the the, the field isn't out yet, correct?
1: No, it's not going to be out until the Wednesday before. So it's a week from tomorrow.
0: Okay. Today's, Today's Tuesday. Tuesday. You right?
1: Yep. A week from tomorrow, you'll you'll know who's in it.
0: Got you. All right. So, what would you rather move on to? Would you rather talk socks? For five minutes and then talk. South to five minutes, you'd rather go vice versa.
1: No, I'll go to the Sox. Uh, I, I, you know, I gave up on them after that Tampa sweep, and I usually don't do that. Uh, but you got to give this team and the manager a lot of credit for coming back. I think they got one of the best comeback records in the league this year. You know, trailing early and then winning games and. I mean, the lineup is scoring runs, you know, like like they own them. I mean, everybody was hitting. I, I, I had a good feeling about Yoshida when I saw the ball jump yep. off his back training. And, I mean, think about it. This lineup is scoring runs with Duran. Um, Wong. Wong. I mean, everybody's having like a career year in a way, and I can't wait for Duval to come back and Trevor Story to come back. And uh, we're even getting decent start in pitching and – uh, Bullpen has, you know, has been much better. With Jansen and uh, Martin has been a little better than, uh, you know, he's, he's he's inconsistent sometimes. But and we got uh, James Paxton coming back. So uh, yeah, he's coming back. He's gonna
0: make his debut soon.
1: Yeah, we're we're playing a good team tonight, and I wouldn't count us out. Morton's a good pitcher, but I think we hit him once before. So yeah, I'm I'm so glad the Red Sox are doing well, and I know you guys aren't big Bloom fans, but you got to think the additions he brought in. When everybody uh, was so down on them, think about it. I mean, he, he signed Yoshida to a big deal. He looks like the real deal to me. Yep. Duve- Dustin Turner looks like he's a player.
0: Yeah, Turner's just on the end of his career. I think that's why I'd most people worried about him. As for Duval, he had a little bit of down year last year, did suffer injuries, didn't really have as much power as he typically would, but still showed he had the power. And then obviously, Yoshida translating from Japan is not the easiest thing. But you look at what Yoshida's done over the last 16 games 16 game hit streak, which is very impressive. And over that stretch, he's hitting 438, the 479 on base percentage, a 750 soccer percentage, a 1229 OPS, adding in five home runs, 18 RBIs, 28 of 64 over that stretch, which is nuts. The Sox, 11 and 5 over that 16 game stretch. The Sox in baseball, are tied to the best record in baseball in the last 10 games with my Dodgers in the Rays, 8 and 2 in the last 10, all three of those teams. The Sox, are tied to the third best record in baseball with the Dodgers. And the Braves and the Rangers for so the best record of baseball in the last 20 games, 13 and 7. And then the last 30 games, the Sox are tied for the fourth or third best record of baseball with the Orioles and the Blue Jays at 19 11. So they, it's a great stretch. And no people on Boston Sports Radio are saying, oh, it's just a fluke, you know, 10 game stretch. Well, it's not a 10 game stretch. The Sox have been playing a lot better baseball in the last 20 to 30 days. It's
1: not a fluke because they what, they sweep Toronto four straight? Swept
0: Toronto four straight. Took uh, two or three from the Phillies, took two or three from Cleveland. I know Cleveland's not that great this year, but they were a playoff team last year, and they always turn it up towards the end of the year. Obviously, Terry Francona's a great coach. And then even, even if you look at this series, I mean, uh, if, you, if you were to split with the Braves, that'd be a win. I mean, I know that hasn't happened yet, but if you split in this series, it'd be a win.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we got lucky Max Fried, their best pitcher, is going to miss us. He's going on the DL, I think. Um, Morton's a wily old veteran. Um, but I think, you know, like I always say, the second and third time around the lineup, that's when hitters take the advantage. So if somehow they can just stay close, put a run up here and there, I like their chances coming down the stretch. Um, guys like w- Winkowski, even cut a Crawford, they've really stepped up and added depth to this uh, rotation and bullpen.
0: Definitely. I would agree with you there. That's not a to make plays. And one thing I want to point out was I remember vividly in my head, I remember listening to Boston Woods Radio with you. It was, uh, it was April 5th. It was after the Pittsburgh Pirates lost. We lost three in a row to them. Sox lost the game 4 to 1. Yashin was over four in that game with a strikeout and was hitting just 200 at that point in the season. Was hitting just 200 at that point in the season, right? I remember the guy in the radio, I forget who it was, was saying, Oh, this is the big commodity you got. In six games, he had 200 with a 320 star percentage, a 606 OPS with one home run. He's 5 25 in his first six games. Well, you look at Yashin's last six games. Now, obviously, it's, yeah. been, it's been a long time. His last six games? Yeah. He has five multi hit games in his last six games. Hitting 480 over that six game stretch, two home runs, eight RBIs, and a 13 19 OPS. With a 480 a batting average, a 519 on base percentage, and an 800 starting percentage. You were right. You didn't lose faith in him. Even though you lost faith in the team a little bit at one point, Thanks, that yeah. four game stretch losing to the Rays, you didn't lose faith in Yoshida. And Yoshida did miss a couple games in that series with an injury. Factor oh, that in. A-
1: He's a. I mean, I think he's a five-tool player. I mean, he's got speed. He plays the field well. He's got a good arm. He, he can be aggressive on the bases. Um, he hits for power. And, I, and his average speaks for itself. So, I mean, uh, you know, the Red Sox went on and got themselves I, I, hopefully a, a budding superstar in this league.
0: I would agree with you. And, he, and he's got a beautiful swing. I don't know if anyone at the Red Sox has a better swing than He's a beautiful swing.
1: Yeah, the lefties always seem to have a smooth swing.
0: I would agree with you there. Uh, and one thing I wanted to mention was my boy Juan DeFranco, which it's really a little, little bit off topic here. We're talking about guys that get on base a ton. Juan DeFranco, tonight, two of three did reach base with a, with, the, with an error as well, but that doesn't count. But he's two of three on the night with a home run uh, and a single and a stolen base. On the air, 370 on base percentage, a 314 batting average. It's a little bit off topic here, but just was looking at that. He's, a, he's had a night already. It's only the fifth inning he's been on base three times.
1: He's a stud. We know
0: he's a stud. I think he's the. Which you're talking pure swings, right? Which I think Yoshida has is a very beautiful swing. of frog from both sides of the plate has a, has a great swing. But he, I think he's the best pure hitter in baseball. Two two to three years from now, I think we're going to look at him as the best pure hitter in baseball like we looked at Miguel Cabrera for years.
1: He has potential. You know who he reminds me of is um, Robinson Cano. See, yep. like every time up against the Red Sox when he was, when he was the Yankee, he got a hit all, all fields, too. I mean, Franco can, can hit it in any, you know. Any direction.
0: Definitely. And if you look at his home runs this year, he has now seven home runs on the season. In his first two seasons in the MLB, seven home runs in his first year in 70 games, six home runs in his second year in 83 games, did battle injuries. So if you combine those two seasons, 2021 and 2022 since he came up, 153 games, 13 home runs, 72 RBIs with a two eighty two batting average. This season on its own, yeah. seven home runs in 35 games. So he's yeah. going to crush that. He's going to crush the 13 home runs in 153 games this year. He's going to crush good, that. A good numbers. Uh, that, that's obviously a big, uh, a big help for the Rays there. So looking at the Sox now, it is still a 4 to nothing game here, but the Sox have bases loaded, two outs here in the top of the second inning, 3-2 two count, two outs to Reese McGuire. You might be a second ahead of me. Wow. Uh, but it's 4-0 here, bases loaded, two outs Reese McGuire at the plate. McGuire heading 345, one of the best offensive catches in baseball. Credit to Bloom there. Called strike, strike three. Socks get out of the uh, – the Braves get out of the inning. But they did threaten. Durant in that inning, what would know, you say?
1: Wait till next time we come up again. They'll go through the line and we'll get to Morton.
0: Which, hey, Durant in that inning, single and stole second base, is fifth stone base of the season. That's a guy I'd give up on. You
1: nope, know, tremendous tools. What speed. He's sitting for power. He's sitting to center field with power. I mean, he, he hopefully can stay consistent. and he, You know, he, he'll be a stud for us also.
0: Yeah, we need him. He's got a great glove now. He's been playing better. I, I wouldn't say great. A better glove. He's still got a good glove. It's not great, but it's been better. Making plays he didn't make last year. And obviously, I think mean, credit to him. I just read an article. I think it was from either Chris Cotillo or uh, Chris Smith of MassLive.com. can't remember who it was. But I read an article. I guess he went back to his old high school in California, which where he grew up, I think it was, let me see. Grew up in California, Long Beach, California, right? Went back to his high school the entire offseason. It would just shake fly, fly, fly balls. But shake fly balls with the high school is, and we just practice day in and day out with that team to get better. So this kid wanted to win. He wants to be better. He wants to be better. And then he's been looking great. I mean, credit to him. I'm, I'm happy for him. Shake and fly balls at the high school. Not many guys are going to go out there and say, I'm going to stoop to that level and say, I'm going to go, you know, some people might think they're too good for that. He didn't.
1: Uh, he, he looks like he improved defensively um, a great deal, which we certainly could use. I think last year he... Showed some inconsistencies with the with the glove, but um, n- not this year so far. And like I said, his power and his average are both way ahead of schedule. So if he can ever stay this hot, you know, we got ourselves a center fielder.
0: Definitely, twenty seven seventy two to start the season, hitting three seventy five, heading it tonight had a 10-18 OPS and a six oh six slugging percentage. Didn't adjust the slugging percentage or OPS uh, for what it is tonight after the single. But regardless, we want to start to the effort him. So now we'll we'll move on from the Sox. Obviously, we're, we're high on them. I think they're going to be right in the mix of the playoffs, whether game in or game out. I still haven't given my full predictions, which I have them all written down, but we'll see. What do you think about the Sox and where do you think they're going to end up?
1: I like what I see the last month, as you said, like in the last 20 games. So um, I think they can definitely sneak in as a wild card. They're, even as bad as they started out, aren't they still like a wild card contention right now?
0: They are. They I, are.
1: I, I th- you know, they might even have a spot, and we know how – you know, that four-game series against Tampa, the three-game series against Pittsburgh, that shattered me. But um, I, I think they're a wild-card team, and uh, they could be dangerous in a playoff series.
0: 100%. I would agree with you there. So now we'll move on. We'll talk about the Celtics really quick. Obviously, Game 5 is already underway. Boston is home in this game. Celtics are down 33-26 to after one in the first quarter. Jamey Brown, nine points. Four-six shooting from the floor. Jason Tatum, just two points, two rebounds, three assists, 0 of 5 from the floor, and 0 of 3 from 3. Timmy Love just wanted to mention in. He said, Yeshida is the real deal. I'll agree with you there, Timmy. And he also said the Sox, third place, I believe it is right now. Uh, and that's that could be where they fin- finish. Who knows? They are in, let me see. In the AL East, right now, uh, they're in fourth place, technically. Uh third place. No, he's right. Fourth place. False. Rays, Orioles, Blue Jays, Sox. Socks is just a half a game back. Of the Blue Jays, but he thinks the Sox can finish in third place. I would agree with you there. Uh, um Boy. But as for the Celts, though, Tatum 0 of five from the floor in the first quarter, 0 of three from three. Look at the other side. James Harden in the first quarter, no points, uh, just five points. I'm sorry, five points, two rebounds, three assists, two of two from the floor, 0 of 0 from three. Jamal LeBeau has been a force. Tyrese Maxey has been a force. 11 points, three rebounds apiece. Uh, Maxey three of four from three, and B, two of two from three. What he's seen from the Celts in the last few games, and obviously tonight they're trailing by seven points heading into the second quarter.
1: I uh, what I see mostly in, in the series thus far is like Tatum has taken like quarters off. I mean, he had a couple of quarters. We got like today, like now, what the first quarter he's got like two points, and then Jalen Brown in game, uh, what was it, game four? He had like. He didn't get four points in the second half. You can't have these lapses in the playoffs against the quality opponents that you're going to face night in and night out.
0: You're right. You're right. So that's the thing. They got They both got to play better. I think Taylor Brown both got to play better. Would you agree with that?
1: I, I would. I mean, I've been happy with Derek White. I've been happy with Brogdon. Robert Williams gives you valuable minutes as a rim protector, and every time they alley-oop, it seems like it's two points. Um, I think the turnovers are still a little bit of an issue. I still see Brown and Tatum dribbling into traffic, losing the ball, or making a bad pass in traffic. And I think the biggest problem I have is they just settle for threes way too much. Yeah. That down on your free throws because teams are unlikely going to follow you shooting three because they don't want to give up three free throws. So I wish they'd drive to the basket
0: more. I would agree with you. I think it comes down to obviously... Situational basketball. Sometimes you force you have to take a three. If it's, you know, a forced situation where the clock's running, you have to take it. I don't like the threes where it's let's not kick it around, let's just shoot the three just to shoot it. I agree with you there.
1: I I think clearly we're the better team. If both teams play their best, I think the Celtics win by, you know, almost double digits every night. But if you take quarters off in the playoffs and hold the ball too long with like four seconds left, I mean these are these are recipes for uh, disaster. So they, they really got to be more consistent. And hopefully they get their act together. But they're down seven tonight. The defense has to step up. 33 points is way too much to let up at home in the first quarter of a pivotal game five.
0: You're right. It's a big game. If the Southers lose this game, they're, they're in trouble. You know what I mean? It's like the bees. You never want to lose. You never want to say, oh, we, at least we got next game. It's not an elimination game, so we don't have to worry. No, it's not how it goes. You got to win every game you can in the playoffs. You know, they have to play better basketball. Right now, they're going to wake at up. Home? It
1: shouldn't be giving up the home court advantage.
0: I would agree with you. I don't know what they're doing. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's a long game. It's only the first quarter, so they still could wake up and turn it around. But regardless, you don't no, want to see that.
1: No, I, I, I think they can too. I mean, the other night, I didn't want to see it, but they were down 16. They came back and took the lead um, but gave it away at the end. Um, so I know they're capable because, I, again, I, I still think they're the better team. They just got to, you know, stop settling for threes and have Tatum drive to the basket more. Even Brown as well. Harden just hit another three, so they're down 10 right now.
0: Yeah, Harden's been a problem. I mean, he's hit some big shots. I know a lot of people are criticizing him heading into this game. and uh, Not this game, this series. Saying that you know, he wasn't the player he once was. Which he Isn't that player anymore. but he can still make big, big plays. and He can have a game like the player he once was. He's not going to put up 40 consistently every night. But he can still have a big game. He's still capable the 40 points, points, points a night. But
1: he's a great shooter, and I don't know how he's, he's so open all the time. It seems like he's, you know, sometimes you get a hand in his face, but I'd say three out of four times, there's nobody in his
0: face. You're right. That's the problem. They got to be better. They got to be better. They got to be better defensively. I mean, they let him take a big open shot. Jalen Brown let him take that big open shot the other night.
1: Yeah, you can't let that happen at crunch time, especially. Fourth quarter, especially.
0: Oh, 100%. I'd agree with you there. So... Obviously, it's trouble though. You don't want to ever be down ten, especially at home in a playoff game. But it's a long game. I still think they can wake up. I know you do as you do as well. But considering where they're at, though, you don't want to be looking like this, especially you know when you're at home and your backs against the wall.
1: No, they they got plenty of time, you know, to get it right. I, I again, I, I think you do that. It starts on the defensive end, and then uh, I think a couple times I saw that they they hardly had. Um, Fast break points. Right now, it's a 14-point lead for Philly, 40 to 26. Which um, is nuts. You know, the the fast break points they used to get seems to have disappeared. That was a big weapon, you know, getting a rebound and running. Um, I haven't seen that lately. I don't see many layups on, like, fast breaks. All I see are, are threes, and you can't, you know, you live by the three, you die by the three. Usually, you, if you shoot 33%, you're doing good. But if they're shooting less than that, like they are tonight, there you go. They're down 10. Now they're down 14, I think I said. so.
0: You're right. They're down 14. But I think the thing is they need something to mix it up. You know, that's a 7-0 run for the Sixers right there to start the second quarter. They're down, you know, obviously now 14. They need something to mix up. They need someone to step in and change the energy. Marqueson's usually that guy. He's already on the floor there. Maybe you bring in a guy off the bench. I mean, Peyton Pritchett hasn't really gotten any minutes. Maybe give him a second. Maybe he gives a Spock. I don't know. I mean, he's really fallen out of the rotation. But they need a Spock regardless. I don't know if Pritchard's the answer. I'm not saying he is. I don't really think he is the answer. But at the end of the day, something has to change. Right now, we're yeah. down 14.
1: They're looking for some. I mean, right now, Brogdon has been in and White's been in. So it's probably Grant Williams that could be that energizer bunny off the bench. Because um, I, I think in the playoffs, you only go about eight deep. So um, I don't expect Pritchard to be that guy I would like to see. You know, Pritchard or Hauser come in. And I love... Um, Yeah, the guy we got from Denver.
0: Derek White.
1: Uh, Brogdon. He's not going to see any minutes, but I love his athleticism. Blake Griffin,
0: I mean, he could get minutes at this point, honestly.
1: I mean, it's got to be Grant Williams, though, that has to come in and energize the offense.
0: Yeah, someone's got to. I mean, Brogdon's been good, uh, you know, getting good in the minutes he's been getting off the bench. He's been great. He's a great addition by Brad Stevens.
1: Oh, great. Him and uh, Derek White and Brogdon,
0: tremendous pickups. Yeah. they've They've been playing good basketball, but... Right now, they need someone to step up, and Tatum obviously hasn't been, hasn't been doing much, and this guy, I know it's early, I know it's early, but just two points from Tatum, and 0-6 from the four and 0-3 from three, you can't have that. You no, can't have that.
1: Get to the hole, and then he passes it back outside instead of, like, going up strong. i I, he, I seen him do that two or three times over the last couple of games, and I just don't understand oh. that that offense.
0: I mean, even defensively, the, you know, they're struggling right now. The Celtics love the drop coverage, they've been doing that a ton, and... That's the problem. The pick and roll defense has been awful, and obviously, Harden and Max they take advantage. of it. They have a lot of room. They've been shooting great. They've been shooting great. I mean, you look at Max—he's doing tonight. Has room. He's three or four from three. Eleven points. Harden you know, yeah, ten points. Just, four or four from the floor.
1: You no, know, I mean you got to give him beat a lot of credit too. One thing that helped him win the MVP this year was he knows he's going to get double teamed, and when he does, he looks for the open guy, and it's usually like a Maxie or a Harden on the three point line. And I think that's helped their offense, uh, you know, hit their stride a little quicker.
0: 100%. So, that, I mean, that's the thing. The Celtics do have to wake up, but it is a long game. I still think they win this series. You would agree?
1: I think they're the better team and they'll win the series, yes. But they're going to make it interesting.
0: Uh, as always, right? I mean, that's what the NBA um, wants.
1: It already is, right.
0: Isn't that what the NBA always wants?
1: Yo, yeah. I mean, uh, the more games, the bigger gates. How can you turn down that money? I mean, with advertising and... You know, even even concessions and televisions and commercials. I mean, you can't just throw that money away. So, I don't know. Somehow that factors in, in you know, with the referees. Uh, keep the games, you know, the series alive. I don't know how they do it, but I, I, I think they do do it.
0: <laughs> I would agree with you. Uh, and one last thing. I mean, obviously we're talking Celts. We talked uh, Red Sox. We haven't talked Giants. Maybe we talk about the Giants in just a minute. Deontay Banks, cornerback out of Maryland, first-round pick for the Giants. You like that move, right?
1: Thought it was a solid pick in an area where we really need to be strong because we love to blitz so much under Martindale. So, um, if this guy can play, which I, I read that he can, I think it's a great pick.
0: He's a good speed cornerback, and also he has good athleticism, good speed. And he also was good at jamming at the line of scrimmage. And in the Giants, blitz coverages, the Giants love to blitz a ton. They also love to send cornerbacks on the edge. So, having speed from a cornerback position, this is big, obviously, for the Giants. He's got a good athleticism banks. But what he's best at is press man coverage. At the line of scrimmage, jamming. At the line of scrimmage, scrimmage, you get the receiver off his route, giving the pass rush more time to get to the quarterback, and also making it harder for the receiver to get open. Not as much time for the quarterback to look downfield and look into coverage, uh, obviously, and and that's obviously a big need for the Giants in their secondary. I love Cordell Flott. I think he's going to be the slot corner this year, and you got Adoree Jackson as your one at at the quarterback position. Now you got Deontay Banks as your two. I think Donnie Holmes makes a move to safety. He's too good of a tackler and too good of a defensive back to not have him on the field in my eyes.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Uh, moving Donnie Holmes to
0: safety. I think it does. He's a good hitter as well.
1: Yeah, he's a great hitter. So solid, well, solid tackle
0: and good athleticism. Uh, and just one update here on the Sox game: five to nothing now. Sean Murphy uh, picking up an RBI single, scoring Ronald Acuna Jr. Five nothing in the bottom of the second. Long game, but uh, things aren't looking great there. But as I said, if we split that series against Atlanta, that's a win. Two game series. I, is it
1: is it two or three?
0: Just a two-game series since they yeah. changed the whole schedule around. Uh, take, just two games. I'll take the split. Uh, one thing one thing I wanted to mention, which Northeastern is playing tonight in baseball against Maryland. Maryland, the, the number 19 team in the country. Northeastern on the year 36-9. Very impressive season for the Huskies baseball team. Uh, they actually ranked for the first time ever in program history heading into last weekend. Fell, though. They, were two in, uh, they fell in two of three games against UNCW, so they're no longer ranked. But tonight against the number 19 team in the country, Maryland. Northeastern's up eight to two. Mike Sorota, two of three at the plate, two RBIs and a home run with the walk. Three of four on base, scoring two runs, adding in his 14th home run of the season. Uh what a start to the year. Or, or not even starting, the season's almost over. What a what a season for Sorota. 14 home runs on the year and thirty eight RBIs. Very 39
1: RBIs,
0: actually. 39 RBIs. What? I was wrong.
1: He looks like a tremendous uh hitter.
0: It's just ridiculous, though, how good Northeastern's offense has been overall on the year. Uh, I know you haven't watched too many games. You did see that. Uh, you, know, you I think you might have watched the game against BC, right? Or at least followed it. I did, yeah. Uh, but BC's having a great year. They're, they're the number 20 team in the country right now. So two teams, yeah. obviously, uh, in Northeastern and Asia, BC both having good years. But Sirota has been ridiculous. Tyler McGregor, which uh, he's 2 of 3 tonight, uh, 2 of 2 tonight with two home runs, which is nuts. Uh, picking up, I believe it's his 15th home run of the season as well. Let me uh, get the math on that. But regardless, good baseball there for Sirota and the Huskies and obviously BC Baseball isn't playing good as well. Uh, Hopefully uh, BC Baseball continues to do what they've been doing and they look like right now they could be hosting a regional uh, by the, I think it's two weeks from now, is the start of the NCAA tournament. Two weeks from now we could see BC hosting a regional with Northeastern there, which would be great.
1: That would be exciting, good for baseball up here in the northeast yes
0: so we'll see what happens maybe we'll have to go to those games if northeastern and bc are in the same pool oh that'd be great in the I'd same regional it. i know yeah, you'd I'm be not- there watching so anyways uh, one last thing i want to mention about the giants i know we got a little bit off topic there but the giants we were talking about very briefly deontay banks good draft pick there what do you is gonna happen with saquon barkley
1: Oof, i'm not getting good vibes uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if we lose him after this year. I mean, I, I, he, I mean, uh, he has to sign that. What did we offer him? A franchise tag? 10 year,
0: $10 million franchise tag. Yep.
1: I mean, so he has to stay here for the one year for that. Am I correct?
0: Yes. Unless the team wants to pick him up, they trade you two first rounders, which no one's going to do.
1: Yeah, so I I mean I, I wish he wasn't I see he seems like he's unhappy and we're only talking a difference of maybe a million or two.
0: He wants I think it was fourteen million, the Giants are only giving in a road twelve. I have I value him at three years thirty nine million. That's why I value him at maybe twenty twenty guaranteed.
1: Why can't they compromise and make thirteen? He's he's such a weapon. I mean you saw him when he was healthy this year. You know, he's a game breaker.
0: And Daniel Jones is a lot better with him in that lineup, right? Daniel Jones needs him in there.
1: Oh, yeah, he, he's such a great weapon, even out of the backfield. Even when he doesn't run, he catches passes, explo explosive.
0: You're right. That's the problem. they got to figure something out there with, with that contract. But as of now, things don't look great there, though. They don't look great.
1: No, I think, think there's a chance
0: he might be gone. He might sit I, out.
1: I, I wouldn't be surprised if Shane was shopping him around already, like during the draft week. So um, I I thought
0: there was a good chance he was getting traded as well. I would agree with you there.
1: I mean, he's a great weapon, and he seems to be a great character guy. So I, I, I know the Giants want to keep him, but like most GMs, they don't want to overpay, especially with running backs who get hurt all the time. Yeah. Um, but he, he certainly is, uh, you know, like in Nick, Nick Chubb's class, um, you know, with the better running backs in the Nick league. Nick Chubb,
0: Derrick Henry, yeah, all in there with all those guys, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I mean, if why, why can't they compromise and, you know, meet, like you said, meet at $13 million a year? Whether yeah, I mean, he probably wants the security of, a, you know, more than a three-year deal. But, you know, again, with the running back, it's just too risky.
0: I think the problem with the Giants, C, is that you can get a guy late in the draft. We drafted, you know, that Eric Gray guy at Oklahoma, I believe it was in the fifth round of day three. Yeah. You can draft a guy late in the draft. Let me see what Eric Gray was drafted. I want to make sure I get that right. But you can draft a guy late in the draft. And the Giants drafted him. It was in the fifth round. Okay, fifth-round pick. But the problem is you could draft him in the fifth round just like Isaiah Pacheco was drafted in the seventh round last year by the Chiefs. The problem is the running back position isn't as valued. Even though I won't say Quan back in the Giants, season, I'd love to see him. Joe Shane might not see that.
1: I, I was just going to tell you, I was just going to say what you said about the Chiefs running back. Didn't they get him in the late rounds? It was the Seven. seventh
0: round. Pacheco, and he was great. Big reason they won the Super Bowl.
1: But a weapon, he turned into be a, such a great weapon. I mean, uh, so that, I agree. That's why the, Shane and most teams know they can get a running back in the later rounds for a lot less money.
0: So yeah, we'll see what happens there with with, with Barkley. But as of now, it doesn't seem like it's a, like it's a good position for the Giants or Barkley either one. Nope, I agree with you. But we'll see what happens there. But anyways, won't hold you any longer. No, you want to? Thank you so much for listening in, Paul. It's always a pleasure. Don't want to hold you as I said. You did come on and give me a good what forty five minutes there of a whole breakdown of everything in sports. So thank you so much. Always a pleasure. It does mean a ton to me. Hopefully, have you back on at least one more time before I'm out of here. I do have another show next Tuesday night, but I'm going to do at least some before I graduate on May 22nd. I want to do at least a few more episodes sprinkled in here and there uh, over the you know the the next week or two. Uh, so hopefully, have you back on one last time before I'm, before I'm out of here.
1: Sounds good, Joe. We'll be listening. Great show. Keep it up.
0: Much appreciated. The Sports Encyclopedia, the Sports Wizard. Thank you so much for coming on, Paul. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye bye. So there you have it. There was Paul, the sports wizard, coming in. The Boston sports wizard giving his thoughts on the Red Sox, giving his thoughts on the Celtics, giving his thoughts on Northeastern baseball, giving his thoughts on the Giants. Great to have him come on. Uh, always a pleasure having him on here. And one thing I want to mention: the Sox. Now it is five to nothing. Uh, Alex Verdugo did just lead off. Had to lead off double. Five to nothing here with one out. In the top of the third inning, socks are in trouble in this game, looks like, but only the top of the third. Uh, we'll see what happens there. As for the Celtics, 42 to 33, they're down by nine points with eight minutes to go in the second quarter. Looks like uh, Brogdon has got going. He's 2 of 2 from the floor, 1 of 1 from 3. Uh, Jason Tatum still 0 of 6 from the floor, 0 of 3 from 3, with just two points in the second quarter here. Uh, not the best start for Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum did struggle early in the game last game as well, though. If I remember right, he didn't score his first bucket from the floor until late in that game. Which I want to get the stats on that here uh, just to make sure I get it right. But if I remember right, Jason Tatum only had two points in the first half uh, or one field goal in the first half uh, against the uh, Philadelphia 76ers in Game 4. Let me see if I got that right here. Let me see. Half one. I was right. Tatum was 1 of 9 from the floor in the first half against the Sixes with 0 of 3 shooting from 3, 1 of 9 shooting from the floor overall, so just 11% from the floor with 2 points, 2 blocks, a steal, and 9 rebounds. And obviously if you look at it, you look at the defense, 9 rebounds is pretty good, 7 defensive rebounds with a steal and 2 blocks, pretty good defensively, but was 1 of 9 shooting from the floor. You need more from Jason Tatum. And tonight, it's looking similar. Looking similar tonight. He's 0-6 on the floor and 0-3 from three. So, Tatum needs to be better in the first half. He needs to start games harder, especially when the Celtics don't want to put themselves in a hole. It's a 2-2 series. Anything can happen. The Celtics have to figure something out. They have to figure something out right now. As for the Sox, just picked up their first run of the night. 5-1 ball game off of a sacrifice fly from Justin Turner, scoring in Alex Rodrigo from third base. So, Sox are down 5-1 in the top of the third. As for the Celtics, there's one more update here. 42-33. Nine minutes to go, Celtics... Uh, seven minutes to go in the second quarter. Celtics are down by nine. Jason Tatum is going to the free throw line here for two free throws. Hopefully that'll get him going. Uh, the Celtics are in the penalty here for the final nine, seven minutes of the second quarter. So every foul the Sixers have here with seven minutes to go, Celtics are going to be shooting free throws, and that's big. And the Celtics haven't even had a foul on the, defense, uh, the defensive side. So the Celtics can play aggressive defense and now drive aggressively since every foul now will be free throws for the Celts so maybe the Celtics can take advantage of that and get back in the game here so we'll see what happens uh and now James Harden will be coming out of the game here for at least a couple minutes to go here with seven minutes to go in the third quarter in the second quarter I'll probably get a two to three minute break here uh before coming back on for the last four or five minutes of the second quarter so Tatum misses the second free throw unfortunately so he's only got three points on the night still uh, and the Sixes go down the floor. Jo- Joel Embiid rebounds a missed free throw. Terrence Maxey misses a missed jump shot. And the Tatum gets a rebound, picking up his third rebound of the night. Celtics so down eight with seven minutes to go here uh, in the second quarter. And as I said, Sox are down five to one going into the bottom of the third inning in Atlanta. If they split that series. I think it's a win. Uh, we'll see what happens there. And one last thing I want to mention in Northeastern baseball: it is eight to two right now against the number nineteen team in the country in Maryland. Mike Sorota in the game, as I said, two of three with two RBIs, two runs scored, a home run into walks, so three of four on base, and his four plate appearances, which is very impressive. 7.08 slugging percentage on the air for Sorota, adding in a 12.06 OPS and a 360 batting average. Very impressive numbers there. Tyler McGregor picking up his 14th home run of the season, just like Sorota. McGregor has two home runs in this game. Sorota has one home run. Both of them picking up their 14th home run of the season in today's game. McGregor, 649 uh, slugging percentage with a 1066 OPS, a 339 batting average. Very impressive. Mike Sirota has been great. 5-2 player. I remember seeing him play one game last year at Northeastern against Bryant, which was the middle of March. And I remember saying, he's a 5-2 player. That kid's going to be a first-round pick. And if you look at what he's been doing for Northeastern this entire year, what he did in the Cape League last year, it's going to be a very short thing that he is a first-round pick in the 2024 MLB draft. And he's going to be picked very high. He's going to be a very high draft pick in the MLB draft in 2024. He's got it what it takes. Speed, hit for power, hit for contact. Good fielder. Gets on base. Has a good arm. Everything you need in a leadoff hitter Mike Sorota can do. So excited to see where he lands in the future. Still got a year to go before he's draft eligible. But obviously that's big for Northeastern baseball. As for Towson baseball, which they played Northeastern in the series a few weeks ago. And Northeastern was ranked after that series, but Towson gave them a, a, a run for their money. They had a doubleheader on that Friday, which, shout out to my buddy Ken Vallis, obviously, considering Northeastern won that series 3-0, Towson's not going to be happy about that series. But there was a lot of good things in that series. Towson lost game 1, 6-5, lost game 2, 12-8, game 2 just slipped away from them. Towson was actually leading late in that game, 9-8 after 2 runs 7th inning and a 5-run 8th inning. Jordan Payton had a big 3-run home run, gave them a 1-run lead heading into the bottom of the 8th. But then things fell apart for them giving up 3 runs in the bottom of the 8th after Mike Sirota, 2-run home run. And that was when things went downhill for Towson, losing that game 12-8 on the first game, or the second game, of that Friday afternoon. Doubleheader. So a 1-run game, a 4-run game that was really a 1-run game before Northeast had a 3-run 8th uh, inning. And then in the last game of the series, Northeastern was losing in that game 4-2. to Towson had the lead going into the sixth inning. Northeast picked up one run in the sixth and three in the bottom of the seventh, winning that game 5-4. to I saw a lot of good things out of that Towson team, a ton of that series. And since that series, they took a midweek win against Georgetown, took one of three against William & Mary, and now they are playing a good team in, in University of Maryland, Baltimore County, which let me get their stats open here. Uh, but they're beating them pretty handedly. UMBC's 24-21 on the air, 13-8 in their conference, but Towson is handing it to them today. Towson's up 16-3 in the bottom of the seventh inning. First baseman transfer from the University of Arkansas, Race Karnane is 3-3 three three at the plate with four RBIs and a walk. He's 4-4 on base, adding in two home runs and a double in today's game, which is wild. What a stat line there for Canaan. Career day for him, which obviously kind of got a good time. And then leadoff hitter James Moses for the uh, Towson Tigers. 2-4 at the plate with two uh, runs scored and an RBI. Towson's teeing off on this UMBC team. Teeing off. 16-3 in the bottom of the seventh inning. Good to see them doing big things. Good to see Northeastern doing big things. Both of them. Playing good teams. Obviously, Northeast North East is playing the number 19 team in the country in Maryland. Being up 8-2 to two is unreal in the bottom of the sixth inning. And then you look at Towson, who this season hasn't gone the way, the way they wanted. They're still fighting, still playing hard baseball. Playing a team in UMBC that's three games above five hundred, and they're up 16-3 in the bottom of the seventh inning. Shout-out to my buddy, Ken Vallis. Uh, always great talking sports with him. Hopefully, we'll have him on the show at some point. And I see big things out of his son, Dom. Dom had a great freshman year. Had some injuries in the offseason, had some injuries uh, in the fall, heading into this season as well, right before the season started, had an injury. And really hasn't gotten the opportunity that he's deserved. But in due time, he'll get that. And I, I do believe in Dom. He has a stuff, had a very good freshman year. I've always said the toughest thing for a college baseball player, it isn't hitting, jumping from high school hitting to college hitting, in my opinion. It's jumping from being a college, a high school pitcher to being a college pitcher. Because every single guy that's good enough to play college baseball is good enough if, if you're playing D1 baseball, every single D1 hit is good enough to hit against D1 hitting. So jumping to hitting in college baseball isn't the easiest thing. I'm not saying it's easy. I know it's not. But I think jumping from playing high school baseball when you're pitching against kids you can dominate against and you can just throw fastballs against and you can get them swinging and missing, jumping from that in high school to jumping to college baseball, I think that's the biggest transition to all of college baseball. Right there. Right there's the biggest transition because in high school, you're pitching against a million kids that are a good amount of kids that probably won't play Division I baseball. But then you jump to playing college baseball and it's a big transition because every kid in college baseball can hit a 90-mile off fastball. But not every kid in high school baseball can hit a 90-mile off fastball. But every kid in college baseball can. So that's why I don't think hitting in college baseball is as big of a jump as, as it is in pitching. And credit to Dom. Dom had a very good freshman year. Had ERA under four. Was a very good pitcher for them last year. It just hasn't really got the opportunities that he's deserved yet this year. But I think he's going to get it. And I talked to him already, and I said to him, hey, you keep your head up. Your opportunities are going to come. He's got good stuff. Had a really good freshman year. And I said, what you can always build on is knowing I had a very good freshman year, and I can get back to that. The injuries obviously not great. But you don't get anywhere in life just by getting everything handed to you. You've got to go through adversity. You've got to get things uh, you know, that go against you. You've got to be facing adversity and have things not go your way to learn. You don't really get anywhere left just by winning always. You have to learn to lose before you learn to win. You have to learn to lose before you learn to win. And that's one thing I think Donnie Holmes and New York Giant preach very well in a clip that I saw on his Instagram. Which we'll I get that clip open here. I'll give you guys a quick breakdown. Okay, just give me one second to see if, let me see if I can get it. Looks like I can. Here we go. Hey, most definitely. It rough in the beginning? Yeah, most definitely. cops were bankrupt. Remember the night when the cops got shot seven times? Uh, hey, damn, it's going to make sense. At the end of the day, there's beauty in that darkness. You got to find out what it is. You me, everybody get caught up in, I don't want to lose, or I don't want to see foolish to. I apologize there. Just cut out of that for one second. I'm just going to go right back to it. That's Donnie Holmes, New York Giants cornerback, talking about some rough goings in his life when he was younger. And obviously his father was shot seven times. Harbour situation. His father is a big reason he made it to the NFL, though, and his father's still alive and, and able to watch him flourish as a New York Giant, which is great. But he talks about the adversity he had to face growing up, and I'm just going to go back to that clip right now. And just hey, a okay you got to find out what it is. So Everybody get caught up in, I don't want to lose, or I don't want to seem foolish to the world at the end of the day. Those times where you lose and you actually getting better. And understanding that the bad's going to come, and that's inevitable. The bad's going to happen day in and day out. Life is going to be I don't know when it's going to come, but when it's come, I'm prepared for it. Is rough in the beginning? Yeah, most definitely. So there you go. There's Donnie Holmes, New York Giants cornerback. Me and my dad already talked to him tonight. Earlier in the episode, we said he's going to make the transition to safety, keep him in the Giants uh, in the Giants lineup, deserves to be in it. But that message right there, I listened to a ton this past week. And I played it here because I thought it was great for everybody to listen to it. And if anybody couldn't hear it, I apologize there for static. I do a screen recording of it. I can send it your way. If anybody's interested, let me know. But the best quote of that is, when you're losing and you think you're losing, you're really winning because you're learning how to lose and you're learning how to adjust and figure things out. And he's right, there's beauty in that darkness. We're all gonna have tough, tough days. As I said, today wasn't my best day. Waking up after two hours of sleep and having an exam at nine o'clock and then jumping into another exam at 12 and struggling in both exams even though it didn't go as well as I wanted. Both of them are very math heavy. And regardless, I can't really make excuses here. I should do better than I probably did in those. But regardless, having two exams in one day isn't, isn't easy. When you don't eat, you don't sleep, no rest, it's hard. But like Donnie Holmes said in there, I mean, at the end of the day, there's beauty in, in, in a lot of the struggles. where you're getting stronger, and you're getting tougher at the end of the day. So I can send that clip anybody's way if anybody's interested in hearing it. That was a great message for everybody to hear. Uh, at the end of the day, Donnie's right. So one last thing to mention in here, it's 16-4 now, bottom of the seventh inning, Towson is winning. John Cristino, the catcher for Towson, he is 2 of 3 on the day with five RBIs, two home runs, and a walk. What a great day for him as well. I remember uh, Ken Vallis pointed out that he was a good player, and he's right. I mean, that kid's having a great day there for the uh, tie, uh, Towson Tigers at the plate. He's great, great catcher as well. Uh, and then for Northeastern, they are up 8-2 now in the top of the seventh inning. Big game for Northeastern baseball. Hopefully this gets them back in the conversation to be ranked. They were ranked for the first time in program history, which is very impressive. 36-9 on the year. Very impressive record. As the Celts, 51-41. They are down now with 2 minutes and 25 seconds to go in the second quarter. Jason Tatum picking up a bucket there uh, on a cutting dunk. 51-41. Picking up his eighth point of the game and picking up his second field goal of the game, which is good There is two of 9 from the floor. It's now 52-41. to 41. Joel Embiid just hit his first free throw. Horford, Tatum, and Derek White, though, and this is according to Gary Washburn here, just saw a tweet from him. They're combined all of 11 from three. Horford, White, and Jason Tatum. All of 11 from three. Over four from Tatum, over two for White, and over six and three for Horford. They got to be better. I mean, it's 53 41, 12 point game now with 2.25 to go in the second quarter. The Celtics got to get back on track. And going to the Sox now, it is a 5 1 ball game now in the top of the fourth inning. Sox are down. In uh, Nick Pavetta so far in three innings, five hits allowed, five earned runs, one home run, two strikeouts, two walks, 67 pitches, raising his ERA on the end of six-eight, uh, five-eight-eight, eight, almost six. So he's got to get back on track. Pavetta, I had high, higher hopes for. He's a streaky pitcher, but hopefully he gets back for the Sox. They need it, obviously. But if they split this series, I think that'd be a win. Anyways, that will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. It does mean the world to me. You guys are always listening in. This is my second to last my second to last Tuesday night episode. I'll be back in next Tuesday night. It'll probably be a little bit earlier for an episode. I do have a scene to dance at nine o'clock. Uh, so I'll probably be on maybe six to seven, maybe 5:30 to 6.30. I know it might not work for everyone there. I apologize. Maybe I can do 6:30 to 7:30. We'll see how things work out. Uh, as always, it will be uploaded on Spotify. It'll be uploaded on iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcast, Google Podcasts, YouTube. And we upload on all those things there. So uh, if you're ever, ever not able to listen in, everything will be on there. If you ever want to listen in to a, uh, an old episode, it'll always be there to listen to. But this is my last Tuesday night, 7 to 8 episode, 7, 8 o'clock at night. Not really sure what the future holds. Uh, not really too sure what I'm doing with everything after college, but I'll keep you guys posted on that. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe I could still do this radio show Uh even over the summer, we'll see if I could still come in here and uh, still produce episodes. But regardless, I'll still be doing my podcast uploads uh, on the side, even if I'm not doing live episodes. Maybe I could do YouTube live episodes. Maybe I could do Instagram live episodes. There's a lot of alternatives I could do uh, to continue uh, you know, a live episode to keep you guys engaged. I do appreciate all the texts I always get. Uh, Maureen, I always appreciate you texting in. Tim Loffice, my mom. Uncle Frankie, I appreciate you guys always listening in and texting. It uh, does mean the world to me and always hearing you guys' feedback. So I appreciate that. Uh, and I hopefully we'll have another few episodes. I do graduate. It was two weeks ago from yesterday, so I only have 12 days heading into tomorrow. Left here at BC, which is crazy to say. The four years did fly by quick. But I do want to have maybe two or three more radio episodes before then. I do have a lot of people that I want to get on that just didn't work out in getting on. Uh, it's been busy for me over the last few weeks uh, with finals and everything. But no excuses. want to get everybody on that I can. Uh, so I will keep you guys posted on that. Uh, I'll text you guys if things were to change but next week it looks like I'll do the episode probably around 6 o'clock uh, but reach out to me if you have any questions about it but as always it's much appreciated thank you guys so much for listening in uh, it does mean the world to me and having the opportunity to do this is, is something I, I don't take for granted that's why even though two hours of sleep and with all that to do today and having six hours of exams back to back I looked at it and said "I have the opportunity to go to see you tonight and talk sports which I love doing and I have a platform to do so and I have a great audience that listens in. So thank you guys all for listening in. Does mean a ton to me from the bottom of my heart. It's much appreciated. So, quick shout outs as I always do. Shout out to the O'Malley family. Thank you for always listening in. Shout out to Timmy Loftus and the whole Loftus family. Does mean the world to me. You always listen in. I don't think anyone's a big fan of the show. Shout out to Uncle Frankie, Teresa, Chris, and Frankie John. Much appreciated that you guys always listen, that you guys always listen in. Shout out to my parents. Shout out to the sports wizard, Paul from Southie. Shout out to my parents in general. Thank you guys always for listening in. Thank you for always supporting. Shout out to my siblings. They're a big fan of the show as well. I appreciate you guys always listening in. Shout out to the sports guru, Mike Curley. Shout out to Auntie Lisa. And shout out to the Keith family. The Keith family always listen in and it does mean a ton to me. So thank you guys. Mary, Brian, Always a pleasure seeing you guys. Hopefully we see you guys soon at the Cape. Thank you, Brian, for always listening in. We'd love to have you on here at some point before I call it quits here, before my career here with the radio show, which I'll still be doing the podcast. Could have you on over the summer as well, but uh, we'll see. But I would love to have you on here for a live episode on a call-in before things are over here at BC. And one more shout-out. Shout-out to Dominic. Uh, My brother Tony did just get a dog. Shout-out to Dominic. Shout-out to to Mike uh, Brennan, MLB as well. Absolute go. That guy's a legend. Shout-out to Dominic. Great dog, beautiful, obviously light uh, to this world and the family. So happy T got him. So appreciate all the joy Dominic's brought and look forward to seeing him again. Got to meet him this past Sunday. Pleasure meeting him. Uh, Got some really nice pictures as well. Hopefully we'll meet him again one day soon. Uh, Anyways, shout out to all the uh, mothers out there. I know Mother's Day is coming this Sunday. Shout out to all the mothers uh, for listening in. Everyone's listening in. I appreciate it. And if everyone's mother... Everyone go wish your mother a happy Mother's Day if you, if you have the opportunity to do so. Obviously, it's something that comes around only once a year. Uh, and you, always have to, you always have to take uh, you know every blessing like that and, and you can't take it for granted. So shout out to every mother out there. Shout out uh, to my mother as well. Happy Mother's Day. Shout out to Auntie Lisa. Shout out to Mary Keefe. Uh, happy Mother's Day to you guys. Happy Mother's Day to uh, my Auntie Teresa as well. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Much appreciated always. I said, don't want to say another eight times. So hope you guys have a a great rest of your night. I'll keep you guys posted about Tuesday, next Tuesday, May 16th. It'll be an earlier episode, as I said. That'll be my last Tuesday episode. But along the way, I do want to have a few more live episodes uh, before things are over here. But as always, it's a pleasure. I didn't really want to miss this episode tonight since I know you guys will listen in. And it was one of my favorite episodes, even though I didn't really think going into it was going to be one of my better ones, considering I didn't prepare as much as I typically would. I do appreciate you guys coming along on the journey from this episode and everything in between from my first to my last. I'm coming up on almost my one-year start. I think I started last year on May 24th, just about two weeks from tomorrow. That'll be my one-year anniversary, and this will be my 153rd episode, so 153 episodes in just about 352 days or 354 days, that is. Uh, So we'll see what happens uh, with how many I can get done within that one year window and shout out to Auntie Mickey as well. Happy Mother's Day to you and shout out to Maureen as well. You're always a mother figure to me as well. Happy Mother's Day to you. You're always a second mother to me and my family. So thank you. Uh, anyways, thank you guys for always listening in. Much appreciated. Hope you guys have a great rest of your night. Stay safe, stay well. I appreciate you guys always listening. in, As I said, I will keep you guys posted about next week. Have a good one. Take it easy and stay well. Thank you.